Mana 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 this is social discasting welcome to social discasting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon i hope you're well my guest is a returning one having previously been on episode 164 a whole 13 months ago he's a writer director actor and producer having written the great short story collection the cult in my garage highly recommend it And since we last spoke, directed a whole feature film in the form of Who Invited Them, a horror comedy revolving around a housewarming party and a mysterious couple. It's a damn delight, and it's a great addition to your spooky season rotation. Consider that. And it's streaming on Shudder currently. Check that out. Please welcome back Duncan Birmingham. Welcome. Hey, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. 13 months. 13 months. Wow. Feels about right, I guess. It feels a long time ago, but I guess also yesterday in a weird way. I thought the same thing. Your 13 months probably feels like 13 months to you because you have all these, you have them stamped in time having worked on this film. I would assume throughout the entirety of all of that, right? That is true. That is true. But then again, uh, like we were talking about before, I live in Los Angeles where uh, it is a little hard to tell uh, what season what happened in. Um, Fair. So we are in a you know, 72 and sunny blur out here most of the time. <laughs> um, but you said 13 months. So I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, I think if, 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 if I, I guess uh, my math isn't great. We shot the movie in September. So I'm trying to remember if we sh- if we talked right before the, um, uh, the the movie shoot, which was very, very, very brief breakneck shoot of two weeks or right after. Um, we spoke August 31st. Oh, okay. So, oh, wow. So, so I was, it must have been I right must before have been that. A real mess. Okay. Let's say I had no idea any of that was happening, which is funny because one of the questions I was going to ask, because I did bring up when we spoke about your short films and just contextualizing kind of how you were thinking about them, but one question I was going to ask is if you were th- if you were hoping to make a feature, and unbeknownst to and I, and I thought after the fact, like, man, I wish I would have asked that question. And unbeknownst to me, you were. I guess you were in pre-production or just outside of it at that point and then about to make the film. Is that about right, right timeline-wise? Yes, yes. That all sounds right. Yes, I didn't get to do as much um, uh, promotion for, for the book uh, as I would have liked because um, yeah. uh, the movie came along. So so thank you a lot for having me on the, the podcast then. I think, oh boy, around August 31st, I was probably uh, very close to having a nervous breakdown. We were in pre-production, but we were also... Uh, at a point where we had uh, pushed the movie a week and we were just trying to decide, could we push the movie a little more? Um, mm-hmm. It was, uh, yeah, very super, super nerve wracking. Um, wow. Every time, you you know, we, we push, we would have to uh, kind of reconfigure things with our cast and crew. Um, but yeah, yeah. So we shot it mid-September and uh, wrapped at the end of September. And, and um, yeah, I would say the last year has been, uh, like you had said, a lot of a lot of movie stuff. Uh, very lucky that my uh, wonderful editor lives right down the street from me so I could walk to his apartment and work on that. And um, uh, some, some awesome film festivals I went to with the movie and then just kind of promoting it um, as it popped up on Shudder last month. And, uh, and AMC Plus, which I didn't even know I had. So if you don't have Shudder, um, maybe you have AMC Plus and you can watch it there. So yeah, that's how I have Shudder as that whole package deal gotta say is somebody not even being paid to show for them it's a hell of a deal so highly recommend that outside of being able to see don't invite them in and of itself but i watch i watch shutter all all the time i watch like a four-hour doc on folklore horror 
like a couple weeks ago, I was like, I didn't even know I liked folklore horror. Um, <laughs> How, yeah. I'd say, was that interesting? Because I've been thinking about watching that. It was really interesting. So I went into it. I'm like, all right, well, I know the Wicker Man. I'm like, what? What is? What is this doc all about? Yeah. Um, what's so fascinating about it is is that it's uh, folklore horror. Uh, country by country, it, it looks at different countries oh, uh, because folklore horror in in uh, you know the UK uh, is so much different than the folklore here horror here, which might have a, a Native American flair, which is different than the folklore horror in uh, in South America. So all all these cultures, you know, all these kind of narratives where you know someone. It's usually some couple steeped in modernity buys a house or moves someplace and then they kind of uh, conflict with some other group or outside person who is representative of the land or the way things used to be. And okay. it, it, it's really cool. So there's a globe hopping element to it, too. And I wrote down all these different horror movies I want to see while I was watching it. Um, very, oh, very cool that. doc. OK, that, I didn't realize it was that comprehensive. That's perfect. Any kind of. um like a documentary like that, that is like an informational deep dive that also then points me in a million other directions to go after that, to deep dive all about it. That's perfect for me. I got to watch that. Yeah. I, I think you'll like it. So to backtrack a little bit before we go into the movie, cause I do want to talk all about that. The deeply unfair question, but both how are you and how have you been for that matter? Oh my goodness. Where to start? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm certainly good. Uh, uh, since we're talking about 13 months ago, I think I'm good compared to 13 months ago. Certainly better. Like I said, when I, when we probably talked, I think I even remember, I might've even texted you after that. I felt like I was a bit of a, a mess. So, you know, we, we shot the movie and people seem to like it. Um, so things are, are good. Uh, other aspects of my life from, from free floating in and, uh, like anyone don't know what I'm doing, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that got done. And that's good. And our heat wave out here in uh, sunny L.A. is over and it looks like fall is creeping in. Uh, so I feel good today and I feel like I've been pretty good. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. Pretty good. In all things considered, that'll work. You know, like I'm just aiming personally for OK at this point. So pretty good. All right. I, I could deal with that at least. Yeah. Work. Yeah. I feel I feel pretty good. You mentioned briefly, too, that, you know, we spoke August 31st. How long was it at that point when we spoke? And again, by the way, I had no idea that you were in the midst of a deeply stressful, complicated process like you were in making a film. I never would have guessed that. How many days, how many weeks were we away, to your point, like two weeks, from filming the movie at that point that we talked? I think it ended up being uh, two weeks away. We probably started okay. shooting mid mid-September. Um, but like I said, there was, you know, there there was some um, uh, drama is not the right word, but there was some uncertainty. Uh, our, our funding, you, you know, we had our funding locked in, but we didn't have the the money in our hot little hands in terms yeah. of those first couple weeks of, uh, of production yet. And uh, and we did uh, we did have to move our dates once and we were in the midst of a conversation of whether we needed to move them again to. Um, make sure that we had certain things or, or cast or our location and everything locked in. So it was very, very, uh, a little, little tense. And, uh, I've been in a situation before I had a, a previous project, a movie that I did not get made this, this, uh, uh, script I wrote called almost genius. Um, I wasn't that far down the line, but the year before I, I did have to move on from that, which was super disappointing. So I, yeah. I think I might've kept things a little, uh, close to my vest cause I didn't want to, 
you know, sure. jinx things. You know, if, if, if nothing's worse than someone being like, hey, how'd your movie shoot go? And you have to be like, well, you know, actually <laughs> it didn't yeah. happen. And I, I would hear these stories at, t- at talkbacks at, at whatever, at film festivals or Sundance where people talk the way I'm talking now about, you know, shaky financing and, and, and moving dates and, and locations falling through. And I'd always think to myself, I was like, wow, these people are really unorganized and not, not buttoned up. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, uh, at least for me, it does, it does seem like that is the reality of, of indie film. Those, those things just, uh, it is a lot of, a lot of balls to juggle and things, uh, and things fall through and, and you don't have the, I, I guess safety net of uh, of a bunch of money to to throw at it, so you're always kind of uh, this feeling of kind of paying Peter to what's it saying? Paying Peter to something, pay, Paul? Yeah, yeah. I've never used that uh, before. Uh, I'm about to say paying Peter to pay Paul, but it feels like is it that redundant of a phrase? Now that I think about it's it, it's paying Peter because you owe Paul. Oh man, this is. The worst. <laughs> uh, I'll 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 look it up as we as we chat. Would would okay. want your listeners to miss out on that biblical reference. It's important that we get this correct, otherwise the rest of the podcast is in flux. So. Exactly, exactly. I don't, want to, I don't want to deal with the blowback on uh, Twitter. It is interesting, though, you know, how that works, the dichotomy of, like, an indie film is theoretically, in a way, like, easier to get made, at least from the standpoint that they're lower budgetarily, so there's less risk, arguably easier to recoup your money. So it feels like a more stable investment, in a way. But then again... The bigger the movie and the more money invested in pre-production, the more likely it's going to get made because they won't eat that money outright. So it feels like there's like a tenuous element to it to where, you know, I guess with an indie film, maybe like you have financing and it's all theoretical until you actually start filming the movie. Yes. Yes. You know, financing is always or usually uh, dependent on a few different things. Um, Yeah. Just a lot of scheduling logistics. I I was very lucky to have an amazing uh, producer who was dealing with, with all that, and just uh, just so your, I know your listeners are waiting with bated bated breath to yes, rob Peter to pay Paul. There it is. Okay, I knew it had to be something else. Otherwise, did that phrase become popular because they were mocking the poor phrasing of it? It can't be that. It has to be something else. Okay, that makes so much more sense. There we go. Now I'm gonna shoehorn that into a conversation with somebody because it's just stuck in my brain now. So it's a good one. Looking for that in the future, listeners. There we go. When did you first have the idea for the movie? Is what I was curious about. Um, I had the idea for the movie. This was um, uh, summer, summer, <laughs> summer one of COVID. Yeah, uh, I guess sounds like we talked summer two of COVID, the end of summer two. So um, I had been trying to put together a different movie, a, a dramedy, um, which is more in line with the kind of things I usually write because I work um, usually in TV. And I was not able to find funding for it. I had a friend who uh, kept seeming to, every time we would have coffee, I was still trying to put together my movie and he would have just produced like another film. And, and I, I asked him, you know, well, how do you think you're getting your movies made? And he was like, well, I, I think because, you know, most of the films I'm making have a, a toe in the horror world, uh, which I thought was really interesting. I love horror. I didn't think I could write something in that vein. So anyway, I, I wrote a different script and shot a short and that went to a bunch of horror festivals. This was still COVID's so that was online and, and uh, got really excited about um, wanting to do uh, a feature that at least um, had, had some, some level of horror. So uh, I love home invasion movies. To me, those are still the scariest, by far the scariest movies. I mean, you can get on like next door or citizen or whatever, you know, your weird neighborhood surveillance app is 
and or maybe just in, in LA and see how many home invasions there were last mm-hmm. night and how close yeah. they were to you. Uh, I mean, I've, I've said this before, but I keep uh, my copy of Helter Skelter by my bedside table to remind me to lock the doors. Um, I don't <laughs> no. live in the hills or anything, but I live like, I don't know, on a hill. Um, I could I could get murdered pretty easily. Um, so yeah, home, home invasions to me are, are always uh, uh, super, super interesting movies and super scary. So it was it was that I guess the seed of the idea, the seed of the idea was really this 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 notion of um, of how as someone who likes to go to parties and throw parties, how easy it would be to um, sneak into a party as a guest and how unsettling it would be for like the start of the movie to be like a husband and wife who have a tiny party. And he thinks she invited this one couple and, uh, and, and, uh, and she thinks he invited the couple. And I just thought that was uh, that was an interesting um, seed for a movie. And if I could lean into the horror of it a little bit, um, that was a good challenge for me. And, and I, I felt like I could, I could really um, do something with that. Um, and make it make kind of a different kind of home invasion movie. I call it a polite home invasion movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels like a like a it's socially awkward or like passive home invasion movie, you know, because it's so not overt, but it it slowly unravels in a really intricate way that I enjoy. I was trying to think of like what you would call like the genre of what this would be in. I know horror comedy works perfectly for it too, but I was also I just become aware of the description of a genre called yuppie nightmares. I have also just recently okay. been aware of that. Is that um, Paul Rust's yes. podcast? Yes. My, my friend was like, you should submit this to um, that podcast for their yuppie nightmares. I, I looked through all those, that list of movies. Yes. Those, those are amazing. And so, you know, some of those, you know, kind of like most of them are thrillers and then some are kind of thriller comedies or a couple that kind of flirt with horror a little bit, but, Yes, as a as a you know eighties uh, eighties kid, um, those really resonated uh, with me, and certainly a, a lot of those were you know were, were references. Every, everything from something wild to one of my favorites, After Hours. We we really tried to make something that that felt uh, uh, tense, like a lot of those movies are. And I love any type of uh, stranger, the you know stranger in the in the bougie yuppie. Uh, yeah. uh, life genre, which which is part of that. So anything from like the more Hollywood type movie, ho- Hand That Rocks the Cradle, to the more art house like Sex Lies and Videotape. Those those are, are total uh, total favorites of mine. There's a, a British term for uh, a certain type of um, '60s dramedy called comedy of menace that I really Ooh, liked as well. I heard that. I like um, that. Yeah, I kind of I've kind of still appropriated that for this movie. Um, yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a nice review uh, somebody gave me when it, uh, the movie played the Overlook Film Festival, which was, which was a lot of fun in New Orleans. And this uh, gentleman came up and he was like, "Oh, I really, you know, I like the movie. Uh, kind of reminded me of The Strangers, but in The Strangers they never talk, and in your movie they never shut the fuck up." <laughs> and I really liked that. I was like, "Oh God, I'd love to use that for the poster." I reverse The Strangers. I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That really. I, I, now evocative. I just heard they're making like The Strangers into like a. Uh, trilogy reboot or something so yeah. you know maybe there's hope for a who invited them sequel <laughs> that'd be really cool honestly i'd be curious to see where it goes from here but i do yeah. have a i don't i do have a great idea really I feel like okay I have a very good idea. very interesting okay i'm intrigued by that but yeah just to to also just quick explanation to your you did a great job explaining it too but also like what the yuppie nightmare thing is considered it's generally characterized for the most part by 
people in like middle class to upper middle class, you know, socioeconomically. Sometimes too that they're like moving up a class in the movie and then everything changes when they get exposed to that new environment, which I think fits, you know, to a certain extent in your movie too. But it's also like generally a malevolent force, whether that comes in the form as a result of like an affair or somebody renting a room in the case of like Pacific Heights Mm -hmm. or a babysitter and hand the rocks the cradle, you know, anything like that. It's like people's lives are turned upside down and it's just so tense. I respond to them like when I saw all the films that they generally consider in that genre, I'm like, oh, I love all these movies and they all stress me out so much. In a great way, but stress me out nonetheless. But yeah, generally like Fatal Attraction, Pacific Heights, Sleeping with the Enemy, Hand the Rock's Cradle, Consenting Adults, Raising Cane, stuff like that. So, Oh yeah, oh, Consenting Adults is a good one. Yeah, there were there, there were very few I hadn't seen. I, I don't think I've ever really seen Unlawful Entry. I was like, all right, uh, give that one a watch. I know, I wish I wish there were more more I hadn't seen. They're, they're so great. Uh, uh, yeah, I really love the, I mean, they're, on, on one hand, I want to say they're so 80s, so much of the, of the yuppie stuff, you know, um, but I don't know. I feel like they they still work. Anyone whose uh, whose ambitions are, um, you know, who's super ambitious feels like they're they're ready to be knocked down. Or that's that's a one way for like the uh, you know the the evil or the uh, uh, interloper to you know come into their lives is is that kind of like unbridled ambition. And I always respond Absolutely. to that as a setup. Yeah, I completely agree. And to your point, if you've not seen Unlawful Entry yet, I rewatched it when Ray Liotta passed. It's a very particularly menacing Ray Liotta performance. Oh, nice. It's a very taut, really well-made movie. I really enjoyed it. And it's deeply stressful. Deeply stressful. I recommend that. Okay, I might need to see that. There's a little uh, Ray Liotta retrospective uh, going on out here uh, next week. So I might go see uh, something wild on the big screen. Oh, boy. You know, I saw something wild for the first time in 2020 just amidst all this i just hadn't seen it and i've watched it like two or three times since then absolutely i love Love that movie so much it's risen up the ranks in my head of favorite movies it's amazing it's such a good movie and such a fully formed ray liotta who is this guy immediate performance you know so good highly recommend it me too one of my favorite movies of the of the 80s one of my favorite um I don't know, like curveball movies. I mean, that movie just goes to places, uh, switches tones so effortlessly. Yeah, effortlessly. Yeah, the, the, just the the ultimate Ray Liotta performance. Like up, you know, obviously Goodfellas is, is his great lead performance, and this is like his great supporting performance. And my favorite, um, I'm a huge Jeff Daniels fan. Um, uh, he's he's as good as he is in anything. Maybe Squid and the Whale might be my favorite of his for for all movies, but, but he and Melanie Griffith are just amazing. And there's so many great cameos and like funny eighties supporting, uh, you know, character actors and like musician cameos. The soundtrack's awesome. Um, yeah, big, big something wild fan. You know, speaking to about performances, I think it might be, I don't know, maybe arguably the best harnessing of Melanie Griffith and what she does so well. Yeah. Because she has such a specific energy and it feels like when she's allowed to explore that, because she's a pretty instinctual actor, then when she's allowed to explore that and do her thing, it works so well. But if you kind of like a bonfire of the vanities, if she's trying to do something that's outside of a wheelhouse, it doesn't really work that well. But when she, you know, when you go with the kind of the stream that is her her natural acting ability, like she does in something wild, it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah, she's, she's great. It gets to show all her her colors this will probably sound reductive but it's it's you know it's like her you get to see her the the body double melanie 
Griffith, bad girl, and then and then more the kind of uh, her her kind of winning uh, yeah. working girl um, side as well, all in the same role, and, and she's uh, yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. And to your point, you get within seconds of each other cameos from John Waters and John Sayles, two <laughs> two John John named filmmakers that are very disparate filmmakers at that. But yeah, just little stuff like that. Great movie. It's a it's a real gem. Absolutely love that movie. But um, thinking about your movie too, that uh, what when you were writing that movie, well, I guess we already spoke to this to a certain extent that you know the the general movies or ideas that you had in mind when you were writing it were kind of more of those type of similar. Yeah, yeah, no, you already said this to your point. It was like uh, saying more um, invasion movies, but more of a passive invasion movie, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, I also thought of movies, you, you know, I, I, I think this, this movie wears its influences on its sleeve in terms of movies like um, The Invitation and uh, there's, a, there's a tone in Cheap Thrills that even though that is, you know, a dark comedy, not, yeah. not really a horror movie that I, I felt like um, I really wanted that, that kind of uh, tone in there. Um, yeah, it was, it was really about, uh, once I had that concept, it was really about just trying to think of why, why those people would, would be in there. What's going to keep them in the house? Um, what's interesting and, and, and how to put our, uh, our main characters, Adam and Margo, or the, or the main couple, how to, uh, have a journey, uh, built in for them. When you were talking about too, that, you know, maybe looking at horror, seemingly the most easy to produce i suppose or get money for genre you know from an entry point standpoint when you're also thinking about you know writing it through that prism of getting it produced was that also a consideration when you were writing it that a movie that turned out having 90 percent of the same location as well yes yes that was um uh yeah just uh you know uh first time making a feature um i know how you know prohibitive locations can be i mean i love you know, movies that are, uh, you know, I think I think they work especially well if it's like kind of one location that at some point opens up in a way that's w- organic. Um, uh, so so there are certainly like all these other movies, uh, some of them uh, being films that like started, uh, you know, started as, as plays like, you know, something like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf yeah. um, or Carnage that I looked at, um, too. And I so I, I, I love films like that. Um I feel like they they use their um, you know small budgets to uh, great effect if if they're happen to be well written and, and kind of use the the limited locations to kind of turn up the the tension whether it's a you know a, a comedy or a thriller or a horror movie so yeah I was trying to think of something you know didn't didn't want to crowbar in a, a limited locations but for this story. Um, it felt like, uh, yeah, it felt like it, it, it was organic to the story, um, and definitely was, was thinking of it with, uh, you know, with a budget in mind for sure. sure. Something can be said too for, in a similar way, I think that doing one long take doesn't give you the relief of tension. It just kind of builds and builds because you just never get that cut that one location can also facilitate that to where it really allows you to ratchet up the, the tension without getting, you know, just the change of pace of a new location. And I think I would imagine that only helped you in that regard. Yeah. And in the, in the same way, the location uh, can be helpful for story, um, the same location for much of the movie, you know, that 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 aspect of like all in one night um, not only is can be budget friendly, but also story wise um, for any type of screenwriting, you always want to try and 
condense things down. I'm not the first person. I don't, I don't feel like this is like some screenwriting teacher, like Robert McKee always brings this up. I don't know yeah. why I'm quoting Robert McKee, but you know, the, <laughs> the novel is uh, uh, six days of the condor. When they make the movie, they make it three days of the condor. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so, and I, I find myself often uh, when I'm rewriting, you know, trying to condense whether it's, you know, if, can the character, another character live next door as opposed to on the other side of town? Can it all take place in, you know, three nights instead of one night? Um, and there's certainly, you know, obviously a whole nother subgenre where there's a lot of crossover of mostly one night movies that um, uh, use tension to great effect. Everything from, you know, after hours to good time to Halloween. Um, yeah. So so it's also going to dabbling in the dabbling in the one night genre uh, as well yeah to your point about uh good time that thinking about it between that and uncut gems that the safties are kind of low-key masters at tension and the lack of release of it because uncut gems is a movie i was absolutely delighted by but also i've not been that stressed out in a movie in quite a while it stressed me out so much yes yes me too (laughs) and uh and i mean good time i i uh, good time was just just amazing uh, to me. Amazing, they, they both are. They're they're. I'm a huge huge fan. Agreed. Same. How was the casting process for this movie? Because nailing those four lead roles is everything for that movie. I think just because if they don't work, then wow, we're gonna be with them for most of the movie. Each person is so good in the movie, like so good. Um, we got so lucky, um, though. The you know the whole cast and especially those. Those four leads were such a such a gift. Um, you know, the casting project, like I said, we, we did have to push our dates a, l- a little bit uh, here and there. So casting came together very, very quickly. Uh, right at the end, we had a wonderful casting director um, who helped out. Um, I knew, you know, knew these actors from their uh, respective shows, mm-hmm. but had no idea whether you know they would be interested or or you know whether we could we could get them and um, and they you know they all came in like literally a, a week and a half before we started filming maybe wow. maybe maybe two weeks um, a very little prep uh, a, a, you know a, a Zoom read or two um, a couple conversations and uh, and they just they were total pros and came both super prepared, but also uh, ready to play. Um, and they, a lot of people have asked at uh, the couple festivals I went uh, to, like, did they, are they friends? They know each other before? Did not, had not met before. Those four actors um, became friends. They're on a text chain now. I'm very jealous that I'm not on their cool <laughs> text chain. Um, you know, didn't hang in their, in their trailer, all, all hung uh, upstairs in, in the house where we had a little dressing room. Um, and, uh, and, you know, these are all really challenging roles, um, yeah. that, that ask a lot of, of the actors, both physically, um, just by the nature of it being a indie shoot of, uh, you know, two weeks of, of overnights, but, uh, also uh, emotionally and in some cases, uh, uh, physically they've, they've, they've got a lot to do. Um, and they're working with a first time director and they all just came in and, uh, and really crushed it and, and. Not only that, but they're they're also, and this is something that I would never have been able to direct. And I, I don't know how you, you you would you would do this. I think it's it's just the the benefit of having these great actors. They were also there's uh, four very different energies that all feel um, to me all felt very real um, and all really worked. But it it, it feels like they're all um, 
they're, they're very distinct, very unique um, performances. Absolutely. When I was watching it the first time, there were different points at which you're marveling at one of the four different performances. Because when you think back after watching it, I was like, oh, he was really good. Oh, but man, she was really good too. And you go through that cycle of each four because they're so such individual performances that mesh really well. And talk about lucking out that they had such great chemistry together in general, let alone, you know, under the constraints of making an independent film like that. And it's a real boon for the movie, I got to tell you. It's great. Oh, well, I loved it. I love to hear that because that is the, the fun of, I, I think, those kind of small ensemble movies is is the performances and seeing, you know, one one character having their scene to shine and then in the next scene they're kind of in the, in the back seat uh, a little bit and kind of another character is taking center stage and seeing... Um, you know, who's kind of uh, in the dramatic hot seat at what particular point in the movie and, and who's getting unhinged and who's uh, and then who's the more, you know, good cop, bad cop in certain scenes. Just just all the all the permutations of, of uh, kind of uh, character arcs that are, are really ramped up by nature of, of a, a big, crazy event that's taking place all in one night. So and I, I should say, yeah, so it's if, if uh, people haven't seen the movie. Got so lucky with Ryan Hansen, who I knew from Party Down and just uh, a, a bunch of things. I even uh, I, I tell people that uh, I love Ryan Hansen so much that like the one day off we had for the shoot, like I was pretty much just like in bed and working. And then I just needed like, you know, an hour to take my brain off the movie and, and turn something on TV, uh, take my mind off the movie. I ended up watching Ryan Hansen solves uh, murders on YouTube, which made me laugh so hard. Say, so I've heard hilarious. that's really fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's really it's really good. I need to watch uh, that. Uh, so, you know, I think his character, Adam, that, uh, you know, that that's a tough character. Um, they all are. But but that one, you know, because he is um, he's he's challenging. Um, he's, he's probably the character closest to me. Um, <laughs> but so when people are like, oh, that character's uh, a little douchey, uh, I get uh, extra offended. But, you know, he's someone <laughs> that if, if if that vulnerability didn't come out in the performance, I think that character could potentially be uh, very off putting. So so he was really able to, uh, you know, make that character uh, charming and vulnerable in ways that I, I, I were a real gift to the story. He had arguably the most work tonally of anybody of the four, because the other three are generally, you know, consistent for the most part in certain flourishes, but he's got to play both the socially awkward kind of fake person, but then those real moments also. And he does it very well. Like it's, it's a bit of a high wire act. It's really impressive. Yeah. Some of my favorite scenes are uh, between him and Melissa Tang after the party and then later after uh, their house guests go home where they have yeah. these kind of quiet, intimate, uh, nobody's there. This is them, uh, uh, warts and all scenes um, where I, I feel like you get very invested in the couple. And that was very important. I wanted people to feel um, like, you know, the couple should stay together and that their problems, while they have big marital problems, are not... Uh, are not that different from most couples who may have been married for seven or eight or nine years. So, and, and people who have seen, at least some people who have seen the movie who are married and are in that ballpark of years married have, have said they have, uh, have felt that and have rooted for them. And, and so that makes me feel good. Um, and yeah, Melissa Tang I'd seen on uh, Kaminsky method and she's got so, so much to do uh, in the movie in yeah. terms of 
dancing, <laughs> drugs, uh, <laughs> getting sick. Um, there's there's a lot and, and just and a, and a, a huge, very visible, um, you know, pivot in the movie when she kind of accepts uh, uh, the guests. So she's she um, th- that was a, a, another really um, big high wire uh, act. And she came in and just c- completely, you know, destroyed on on all levels. And um uh, yeah, Tim Granaderos and Perry Matfield. Perry's on uh, The Star of In the Dark. And I'd seen Tim in uh, this movie, Untitled Horror Movie. And then I watched him in 13 Reasons Why. And then uh, he's got this great part in, in Plan B where he plays this total unhinged character. And those are such tough parts because they have to come into this party and uh, be super charming, um, but also have a, an air of... Um, you know, kind of an X factor air of menace or the movie yeah. just kind of would be a deflated balloon. And those that's, that's really hard to do. And they, they have to be charming in a way that isn't smarmy because Adam and Margot's characters are, are pretty sharp and pretty cool. So yeah, very, very, very tough. Lots of, lots of chunky dialogue. Uh, got very lucky with those actors. Say so it's really tough tonally. I would imagine too, just because you have to put these situations where it's completely plausible that they would be able to stay and it would be okay, but also where there's also just something there. Just like there's something in the air about it or something they said that could be taken either way. And it's got to be able to be like, again, like a plausible thing. And it, it nails it, I think. And what I told you before we started recording, that I showed it to my dad last week. And he knew nothing about it. Didn't know the movie existed. Anything he knows about movies in terms of like what's out and what we watch or because I just show him things. <laughs> I told him, like, I'm going to show you this movie. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. Let's just watch it. So he truly was a blank slate of a viewer to watch it. Early Love on in the movie, and the thing that he said throughout the movie was, this is so awkward. And he was laughing, and he was delighted by it. He loved it. Oh, that's he, great. He that's was like, it's so hear. fun. He really enjoyed it. All right, I'm glad. glad. My, my parents who, uh, you know, keep up with things I work on, but I can't say they've ever sounded like they've enjoyed uh, any TV shows I've worked yeah. on or, or even have really men- mentioned it. Uh, yeah, have had friends over to watch the movie a couple times. So that's that's nice. That's a win. Okay, you'd said too that the movie was about mid-September 2021 filmed, filmed for a couple of weeks. Then the movie was announced on deadline January 26th, 2022. So were you like deep in post-production at that point? Yes, yes. Deep in post-production, deep in editing, um, you know, music and, uh, and all that. How long was the post-production process? Like how long was the process total? Like when did you finish? When did you have the, the cut finished for that film? I think we had it finished in, uh, May, I believe. Um, uh, maybe, maybe earlier, maybe, maybe, yeah, very beginning of May. Um, what, what's, what's the month before May, April, <laughs> um, maybe late April, uh, because we screened the movie at the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans. Yeah. So and I believe that was late May, maybe that was early uh, June. So, yeah, it was, um, you know, we, we were we were pretty busy editing. We had a, an interesting trip. Um, uh, my wonderful producer, uh, her has a, has a great sound designer who happens to have moved from New York to Portugal. And cool, we win. realized it would be more cost effective for us to go there and work with him uh, <laughs> than to find somebody else who is not as good as him uh, here in uh, in L.A. So we, we did a we did a sound design uh, field trip to Portugal for a week, um, which was really interesting. Just the idea that it's more cost effective for you to go to Portugal to do this. Thank you so much. Was it Lisbon, right? 
yeah, Lisbon. Uh, Roland Voss is a sound designer, and he's done so many. You know, he's done like Boardwalk Empire and uh, The Night of. Uh, Amazing. Has, uh, has a bunch of Emmys in his, in his apartment. So we were felt very lucky he was going to do this little movie. So why not go over there, <laughs> drink some wine? Yeah. yeah, we had a good time. That's perfect. Also, to your credit about the sound design, that in a world of I don't know. Again, this is a whole article that's been written about it about people not being able to hear dialogue very well and having to add subtitles to watch a movie. I didn't have to do that at all with this movie. I didn't, you know, I don't do it very often, but I didn't miss anything. And that in and of itself is a win. I mean, it sounded great too. the oh, movie, that, like great job. That's that's great. Uh, yeah, Roland is a, is a master and it was also an education for me. I mean, I've worked in, in TV and obviously done a bunch of shorts, but this was a just a whole different ball game of building a, a world of sound. Um, uh, to make the movie feel uh, feel real, just working with him and like going through the you know going through every line of dialogue to keep it clean and yeah. kind of building this world where there's you know just a slight rustle of trees outside because they are in the in the you know they're in the hills but the city's not far below so the the, the I just love the the sound design he did of the streetcars that and the and the wind and the the, the rustle of trees that kind of kind of combines nature with, uh, you know, the, the man-made, uh, man-made city elements. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, very subtle, but, but it's in there. That's awesome. I didn't even think about that, about just how much atmosphere you can add to that, you know, outside of the sound, but just adding characteristics to the outside like that. How was the editing process? Because I imagine it's a very, again, tonally complicated movie. So to get that balance, I imagine was quite a process. Yeah, we had a great uh, editor, uh, Patrick Sutzler, who uh, also is a co-producer on the movie. He also has a has a his band has a song in the movie, um, and he's kind of the and he was on board from the beginning, so he was able to come to set um, a couple times and uh, kind of give us an idea of what what he thought we might need because he's watching the dailies every day. So hey, can you get a little more? You know, whatever it was footage of of the hall or don't forget to you know cover this which was so 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 helpful and he's really the the go-to guy for uh for comedy horrors he did a movie uh if you know that uh josh rubin i a cash movie called scare me a couple years ago great movie um uh he did a a movie my friend directed bridie elliott called clara's ghost um two uh you know two very different movies that kind of uh have a little 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 horror little comedy in them um and he just did a movie that I saw last night at Beyond Fest, uh, a wonderful movie called Blood Relatives that my friend Noah Segan wrote and directed. So, so anyway, his his uh, insight was really great. His editor's cut was awesome. Um, you know, when we started, I I was all about I don't care. Uh, it doesn't matter if we're going to step on laughs or it, let's just really cut for tension. Um. And, and, and keep things as tense as possible at all times. I think if there was an evolution to the editing process, I think maybe with Patrick's encouragement, might have then leaned a little more on the laughs in the first half and let the film grow gradually darker. Um, since it's not a movie with uh, tons and tons and tons of murders and killings, it felt like maybe you know leaning on the trying to keep that level of tension that high the entire movie yeah. um you know starting at an 11 and keeping it at 11 uh felt a, a, a little maybe less interesting than uh starting at uh, i guess you'd say a slow boil and, and at least trying to turn it turn it up to 11 
that's what I like are the movies that start off at that base and then it just ratchets up, ratchets up, and then reaches a crescendo. Like that psychological tension element to it. Love that so much. And I thought it was really successful with that, which again cannot be any small feat, I would imagine, just to figure out what that what that balance constitutes. And I'm sure there's a lot of just feeling to it, you know, just feel it out about like I guess that's where you being a viewer of so many of those films helps too about like, wow, is this evoking what I wanted to and is it doing that for other people? Because at a certain point, you're probably in too deep having seen so many cuts of it. You're like, is it still accomplishing what I want to? And I guess probably outside eyes help that. Yeah, they help that. We, we because of uh, another challenge with COVID, we never had like a huge test screening. This again, it's we're, we're an indie movie. So the, the test screenings were like, you know, as many uh, people as we could uh, finagle to fit on my couch. Uh, a couple times and yeah. in, in those respects yeah definitely definitely got some uh some good feedback in terms of how the movie was working and and when you know how how tense it was and and what where where it felt flabby and um and things like that um yeah at what point did shutter become involved they were uh, kind of loosely involved from the from the beginning in terms of they are, are tied with our, our financing um, mostly. So mm-hmm. so you know they're they're super hands off. Um, we're, we're big believers uh, in the script, um, and, uh, and and you know we're very supportive of of, of me. Um, so they were they were pretty hands off, but you know they were they were there uh, pretty much from the beginning. Oh, nice. Okay. That helps, I imagine, at the very least. Wow, we have this great distributor on board. Does that also, like, impact? You don't have to get it rated by the MPA, right, as a result of that? Right, right. I don't know, really know that process, but there was an MPAA uh, rating, uh, you know, uh, process. Okay. I'm sure that, that lessened the post-production process, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there is no X, X-rated cut of who invited them. Okay, well, something to shoot for for the next one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or who invited them to, maybe. That infamous X-cut, I suppose. What was, like, the most complicated or difficult thing outside of just shooting the film itself? Um, I would say, um, y- y- you know, there there were some uh, some challenges, just, just in terms of knowing when to pull the trigger um, and say this is the start date and we're doing it even if things with our financing are feeling a little funky and maybe we don't know if we a hundred percent have the house and not every actor is totally confirmed. I mean, that's, that was to me very uh, stressful uh, part of it. Um, And everyone's wearing a a lot of different hats. My house is the, you know, pre-production house. So uh, I'm, you know, sleeping, sleeping in it and there's really no, kind of break from it um but but, the, but the, the stressful part of that being that i was just afraid <laughs> you know afraid the movie wasn't going to happen at certain points sure. um uh if i just knew it was going to happen i could just kind of relax more and and you know that's just the craziness of making a movie but i kept being like oh my god is it, is it all going to fall apart so yeah. uh you know that kind of stuff is is stressful we had a had, had a little bit of craziness where a bunch of uh uh, uh checks to the uh, cast and crew were stolen out of a mailbox. We had some, basically we had some, some mail fraud. Luckily that was after the shoot, but uh, wow. that was still uh, a lot to deal with um, in terms of kind of indie, indie filmmaking curveballs. Um, 
yeah, I think those those were kind of the two biggest things. I mean, our 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 if I our shooting schedule was I, I think I said pretty pretty breakneck. Uh, it's during COVID. We've got our COVID officer there, and we're shooting uh, overnights because I <laughs> insisted, uh, rightly or wrongly, on having this beautiful uh, mid-century house with all these these windows. So to get those those beautiful blacks, it really has to be uh, uh, night for night. Um, yeah. so I did not quite realize how disorienting, uh, you know, sleeping all day and getting up and going to work <laughs> yeah. all night, uh, would be on myself and on everyone. So, so that was a challenge too, but, um, you know, overall, uh, a very blessed, uh, production, um, for sure. Those were, you know, those were just a little, a few curveballs, I guess. Fair enough. I mean, even to your point about like, not sure even when you're going into it, if, financing is really there it's all theoretical i guess until it happens but just the tenuous nature of it that you don't want to jinx it to your point earlier you just want it to happen and i'll believe it when i see it and i really want it to happen but even in the case of like certain tv shows or like the movie batgirl you can still finish all of that and it's still not get released like oh my God. it's so terrible i feel awful for everyone involved even when you think you're there you're not until it's actually out so what a miracle every movie is period they really are. There was nothing uh, such such a great feeling for all the obvious reasons to, to see the movie when it first played in a theater in New Orleans at this festival. But but also just this this great feeling of like, OK, uh, if there was like a fire that somehow took out all three, uh, you know, hard drives of the movie or something, at least it's played and it's in, you know, a certain group of people's eyeballs and brains. Yeah. Now it exists out in the world. Um, and I remember going out and having a, a steak and a beer after the screening and just being very happy. I was like, all right, it's, it's out there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's real it, now. I didn't, I didn't dream it. Yes. It's real. Yeah. I can't imagine the catharsis of that. Right now, are you still in like decompression mode from it? I mean, because you're promoting it, obviously, as part of why we're here too. But, you know, at a certain point, it's like, well, what's the next thing, right? Are you separating from that still or no? Uh, I mean, I, I I would love to say I'm kicking back and and this I'm in the resting on my laurels uh, phase of filmmaking, but yeah, that's uh, yeah I don't really have that. I, I have decompressed though. I, I yeah after after the shoot, yeah, well everything is is all good. But yeah, no, I'm deep into a a script um, that is also uh, also has a horror element, also has a comedy element. Uh, I describe it as kind of a, a slasher slasher uh movie with a with a love story um so um That's yeah I'm, I'm deep into that and pitching some some tv shows uh but mostly uh trying to trying to get the script out there I'd say that's part of the interesting dichotomy. It's like, wow, you just made this thing that is so complicated and takes so long to make. But then it's almost immediately like, well, you had the momentum now, so it's time to go to the next thing almost immediately. Uh yes, yes. I should have had the I would have loved to have the script done a month ago. Uh, that sure. was the plan, but it's taking a little longer than planned. It's a hell of an accomplishment to both complete a movie in general, let alone for it to be as successful as I think it is. So it's not like I'm wrapping up. We still got a little more time, but just congratulations. No, no, I, I want I want like at least 20 more minutes of you telling me how good the movie is. Okay, like, good. At least. Then I got good. that. Okay, we can do that. Then, <laughs> uh, thank you. It's really successful and um, I've really enjoyed it. You know, I've watched it three times and it's oh, wow. a very... Oh, that's great. I know that this is the thing that people talk about more and more is like, more movies should be 90 minutes. I think the movie should be as long as it needs to be, quite frankly. And it's 81 minutes, perfect. And it's a very light breezy, like you get a lot accomplished in that runtime. It doesn't feel rushed at all. It feels like you tell the story you need to. And it just so happens it needs to be told in 81 minutes. And I think that's really successful. Um, thank you. Yes. I mean, uh, 
just talking about budgetary constraints. Yes, we were. That's the the the. the Slightly shorter runtime is also, a, you know, a little little part of it. Um, obviously, time is money. Uh, I think someone else once said before me. Um, but yeah, it also felt like for the story um, that that kind of a breezy, shorter time frame worked because it all is, um, you know. But besides what I kind of refer to as like the the opening and ending chapters, it all is this one one crazy night. Um, and even though it's not in, in real time, we tried to keeping in a realm where it felt like not not too off of off of uh, the reality of, of the real time that yeah. was elapsing and keeping with like the horror factor too i mean we are as i said before in the midst of spooky season do you have any staples personally of things you watch or tend to watch every october oh that's interesting uh yeah i mean i guess uh i've i've certainly nothing that i watch like every halloween but uh, The Shining's probably pretty much up there, especially if I can go see it at a you know a, rep- a repertory theater around here. Um, you know, Halloween for me is uh, you know obviously the on the nose pick, but for a reason. I mean, just yeah. the just the opening credits, everything about it is so like autumnal, and I mean it's weird to say this about <laughs> a slasher movie, but it just feels kind of like cozy and fun. Exactly, um, I get great great comfort. Um, uh, out of Halloween, so th- those are probably like the two big ones. I'm really bummed I missed uh, Jaws on IMAX, who's playing out here in in LA. But I think uh, I think I'm gonna just watch Jaws anyway um, because I'm excited about uh, that one. Uh, yeah, there's a uh, really uh, exciting um, uh, grouping of of uh, horror films on the Criterion Collection that I'm excited to revisit. A lot of those. I'm, I'm uh, gonna watch The Hidden. I think uh, that's one I. I really love, um, and I'll probably watch that uh, this week. See, I'm going to watch that tonight. I hadn't seen it before. I've been planning on watching that, so I'm really excited oh, nice. about that. Great movie. And the, to your point, like the Criterion channel, like their 80s horror films that they curated, I've watched a few of them. You know, I just saw The Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's film, for the first time a couple of nights ago. It's just a movie that I don't know how. It's weird. I was like, I don't know how I missed a John Carpenter movie, but I completely did. And I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> Yeah, so I'd like good. to rewatch that. It's been it's been a long time. I guess it's probably high school. It's I I just it just passed me by, I guess, and uh great. And then I watched um Wolfen, I think it is. Yeah, Wolfen. Okay, is, I've not seen that. It's it's interesting. I think the movie itself is like maybe more um interesting than it works, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. some of the interesting things about it are that it's the only feature film from the director of the 1970 Woodstock documentary that won best documentary back then, like that th- famous three, three and a half hour Woodstock yeah, documentary. Woodstock. He directed that and it's, this is his only feature and every other thing he directed after that were documentaries in some way related to Woodstock. So this is his lone feature film and Dustin Hoffman apparently really, really wanted to star in it. And the director said no, because wow. he wanted to work to it. He wanted to work with his favorite actor, Albert Finney. So he cast him instead. And, then, and then interestingly too, a lot of the supporting uh, cast were people that he cast that were fairly like unknown from a feature film standpoint, Broadway actors. So you've got like uh, Gregory Hines in a role before he was like known. We're you know. running scared. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you got Gregory Hines, you got Edward James almost, and a few other people. So it's and they do a lot of Steadicam, which is interesting, and they do like first person wolf perspective it's it's an interesting movie where the story doesn't quite work but it's you know it's it's interesting 
Okay. All right. I'll check that out. Yeah, I'm also excited to um, watch. I've never seen the Michael Mann movie. I know there are a few different uh, versions yeah. of The Keep that's on Criterion. It's a... Uh... It's such an, it's such an interesting what if, you know? Yeah. Because it's such a, it's like half a movie, it's like a, it's like ninety five minutes or something. But there's some really interesting stuff in it, and it is a true, you know, you think about that with so many different, uh, mythical cuts of different films, and that is definitely one, where it's like, this guy does not miss. I mean, not really. He just never. He's just a filmmaker with great taste who knows what he's doing. And so the, the fact that it was such a whiff, I'm like, man, there was such an interesting movie in here that, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be really, it'd be really cool. But, and also I'm, I'm savoring, uh, heat two right now and it's just, oh, nice. oh it's so good. All right. I, so I'm good. dying to read that as well. Yeah. He's going to make that into a film next after, uh, after his Ferrari movie that he's making right now. So Michael Mann's coming for everybody. He's got that. He's got Tokyo Vice. Very exciting. Yeah, um, I haven't uh, dug into Tokyo Vice yet. It's good. I really, really like it. Um, I'm not, admittedly, like the biggest um, Ansel Elgort fan, but they right. they they use him very well in the movie, uh, in the show. So, um, and it's really interesting. You know, it's like a period piece. It's like late '90s Tokyo. It's it's, a, it's its own world, and it's really cool. It's a good show. All right, I'll put that on the list. Okay, my last question. This is a. It's movie related, but also kind of random. You went to Beyond Fest, and you had the RRR theater experience. Right. How was that? Because I've seen the movie twice. I think it's unbelievable. But in a theater, it must be incredible. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. I wasn't. I hadn't planned on going. I kind of missed out on tickets, and then I was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll see it some other time." I, I know some people. I, I met a woman uh, who's seen it fourteen times. Wow. Um, and then, then I was kicking myself. I was like, oh, I should have gotten a ticket. So I saw, I saw someone selling them on uh, Twitter. I bought one. Uh, it's uh, IMAX at the, I guess it's now the Chinese theater, you know, the, the famous Grauman's Chinese with the Walk of uh, uh, Fame handprints out front. So in the, in the heart of Hollywood. Yeah. Um, not sure how many people it seats, but just, just I hadn't been in that theater since uh, the start of COVID. Always, always a great time being in that theater. So beautiful packed house uh the director is there at one point they asked uh you know who hadn't seen the movie before and i raised my hand i was definitely in the minority probably 20 percent, 30 percent of the theater hadn't seen it before so you've got a a, a super pumped up crowd yelling screaming uh a lot uh, dancing during the musical numbers um it was you know really awesome a really a really uh, great uh, emotional experience uh, paul Shear and amy nicholson came out and did the q a with the director after it was just great the movie um the the action se- for people who haven't seen it that just the 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 action sequences uh, are so inventive the musical numbers so interesting the performances are so winning there's just so much like joy in the movie yeah um that it it was uh, yeah it was a really great experience so i i will, i'm sure i'll see it again at some point but really really glad i was able to check it out beyond fest has been uh super fun so far so it seems like a pretty great festival like a real i don't know just a real blend of different things you know to your point they're showing rrr in the theater they're also doing a they did a q a with brad bird and showed ghost protocol the mission impossible movie which is a movie I'd love to re-experience on the big screen as well. Me too. Me too. I wish I'd seen that uh, then. Yeah. Um, I know that speaking of the director of RRR 
SS Rajamuli, he, uh, you know, it's weird. It's the one time I've ever been excited by one of these announcements, and it was announcing that he signed with, like, UTA or something, some representative, you know, in Hollywood. And all I thought was, oh, he's going to make a Hollywood movie now. And that made me very excited because it's like, what can what can he do with that? So that I'm excited about. Well, I hopefully I don't want to burst your bubble, but Paul Shear did ask me. He's like, "What are you doing next? You're going to do like a you know Fast and Furious? You're going to do some some Hollywood <laughs> yeah. stuff?" He said he was keeping it, uh, you know, uh, Indian movies for Indian audiences, which I, I, I is exciting um, because now I, I feel like he's got you know the built-in audience here, so everything he makes will explode here. So hopefully, hopefully he doesn't get folded into our. Uh, awful, awful soul-sucking system here, and uh, and keeps making his big, amazing, beautiful movies there. I mean, I, I don't know what what Hollywood could even offer him. True. When the movies he he's making, uh, I mean, uh, just the 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 scale of 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 RRR was so huge. Um, it was a three hundred day shoot. He said, "Dear God, um, I know that I know that I read the other day that they filmed. They were like at the fifty at the halfway point filming." And then had to shut down because of COVID, which I can't imagine what that is as a filmmaker to be like, well, we have like, it seems like the worst possible scenario in terms of shutting down because now you're like, well, we have half a movie and now we have to like try to uh, reinstill this energy, try to conjure this energy again and figure out what the movie is. I mean, maybe it helps because you can edit it maybe in the process. I don't know, but uh, that just seems like a, a tough thing to do. But I didn't also realize it three... Dear God. I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's also, that's arduous. No, either am I. I mean, it's 300 days is insane, but also he could have been like five years and it would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was just, uh, uh, it's just this this monumental beast of a movie that is um, constantly surprising you. Um, yeah, my, my jaw was really on the floor. It was, it was quite, a, quite an experience. Yeah, I, it's made me want to go into more of the uh, Tengulu films because I'm just deeply ignorant. And I'm just like, is this the best one? Or am I just scratching the surface on what amazing films I could be watching? I really don't know. Yes, there's more of them playing at, uh, at Beyond Fest. Uh, I think they've already played, but I won't have a chance to catch them. But I, I'm also, yeah, curious. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about why this one, uh, you know, broke out. And someone asked him that, and he, he wasn't quite sure um, either. It, you know, it sounds like he's got like all these you know, blockbusters under his belt. Yeah. I think it was more of a, like, it probably to him seems inexplicable. Cause he's like, I've just been doing, I mean, this is what I've been doing for years. And it's like, wow, this one is the one that just goes nuts. Um, yeah. I'm curious to investigate more films and more of that genre in general, but we're, we've reached our end time. I don't want to keep you any longer. First of all, thank you again for doing this. Thank this you. Is- thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for kind words about the about the book, about the movie. Um, these these were great questions, and yeah, hell yeah, I, I'm I'm always ready to talk about something wild and RRR. Oh boy, um, and and listen uh, listen to any praise for for the film. So yeah, thanks for showing it your dad as well. Absolutely, um, yeah. I'm doing my viral campaign of showing it <laughs> person by person, but uh, yeah, I recommend it to friends and everything too. It's it's great. I recommend it. Check it out on Shutter, which you can get through the Shutter service itself or AMC Plus. Hey, you can get that. You can get that Shutter that Shutter taste for free. Seven days free. Yeah, hundred percent. And Shutter is absolutely worth it. And and you know, if you do the pairing with AMC Plus, there's a lot of good stuff on there. It's kind of quietly one of the best 
services out there, you know, in a sea of all these streaming services. Highly recommend that. Also, and again, congratulations on the movie. It's hell of an accomplishment. It really is. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, I, I definitely always love checking out your uh, Instagram and Twitter feed, seeing what you're watching. Yes. Yes. It's my excuse to find cool posters. I love movie posters. I get to put that out there. And no, I'm, I'm the same. I'm maybe the same. put that out there of movies people aren't necessarily watching. But as I switch to talking to the audience, thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. Please be kind to yourself. Lead with empathy if you can. Check out who invited them. Shutter. Shutter.com. Take care. Thank you again. Bye. Thank you.